Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. So welcome. Glad that you are here. If you're a guest or a visitor, particularly glad that you came over today. Hope that you'll just feel right at home. Hope that you'll just come right on back and jump into all the things that are going on here at FaithBridge. We're going to continue a series that we started uh, last week. It's on anxiety and worry, and, and we're calling it Calm the Home Down. And we're drawing from Philippians um, in this series, and that's in the New Testament. So turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. If you need a Bible, why don't you just wave at one of the ushers that are coming in the aisles right now. They'll be glad to let you borrow one of those, and you can keep it. It's our gift to you if you need a Bible. Well, I'll tell you this. uh, I never forgot the day that a certain man came to my office to talk. He'd set up a time, and and, uh, we small talked for a few minutes, and then finally I said, well, what did you come to see me about? And he said, well, I'm having some anxiety issues. I think I'm having sort of panic attacks. It's like, oh, okay. At this stage in my uh, life, I was much younger and I, I had no experience with any of this kind of stuff. So I was trying to reach back uh, to draw from the you know, counseling courses that I had taken and say something wise. And so I said, well, tell me, when does it tend to present itself? He says, oh, it presents itself at work. I said, okay, well, what do you do? He said, I'm an airline pilot. I said, oh, my. I said, so while you're flying the airplanes, you're feeling, yes. Well, not during all of it. He said, you know, when they're in the terminal, when we're taxiing, takeoff, you know. That, that all is great. It's the landing. It's the landings that are doing me in. I was like, well, you know, nobody likes everything about their job. I guess you found the thing you don't like. And <clears throat> so... I said, now, you know, I think they make medication. Uh, I've at least heard that, 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 that can be really kind of helpful for this sort of thing. He said, oh, they do, but you can't take it if you're a pilot. See, if I take that medication, then I can't fly. If I can't fly, I don't get paid. If I don't get paid, my family doesn't eat. I said, my gosh, I am really sorry to hear this on more than one level. And... Um, I said, so help me just, uh, you know, this is kind of new to me. Help me understand, what does it feel like? He says, well, we'll be uh, making our initial descent, and as we get closer and closer to the final descent, I can feel my breathing starts to to speed up, and I can tell my pulse is uh, going faster, and my blood pressure is, is rising, and I've never blacked out, but my thoughts sort of, I can just feel this cloud of a flurry of thoughts that it's just... It's overwhelming. And I said, yeah, and I guess you can't very well lean over to the pilot and said, could we have a chat? I just need to get some things off my chest right then. No, he says, you can't really do that. And I said, no, you definitely don't want to, you know, pick up the mic and tell the people on the intercom, you know, wish me luck on this one. You know, I'm having a moment up here. And <clears throat> so I said, uh, you know, the, I asked the best pastoral question I could think of. At that point, I said, which airlines did you say it is that you, <laughs> that you fly for? And I should hasten to add, uh, that airlines no longer is existent. I don't think that's related to this. Um, although I think my chronic anxiety may have started right around that time. Um, uh, now that I come to think of it. All right. So in any event, we're talking here about anxiety and worry and um, these types of things, which Statistics tell us now some 50 million Americans are feeling on a regular basis. Anxiety, uh, worry, panic, OCD, all of these derivatives that are, uh, you know, all part of the same sort of pie. But even if you haven't uh, been feeling it up to your neck or your nose, I think everybody to some extent feels it up to your knees or your waist. Like I said last week, I just read it in your prayer requests. Each week you write those cards and you drop them in the baskets and what if we don't get the raise? What if we don't get the job? What if we can't get pregnant? What if my child doesn't succeed? What if my parents need extra support? What if the house won't sell? 
what if the alarm in Hawaii yesterday had not been false? I mean, there's just so many things that can begin to consume our minds, right? So many things that we can get occupied and feeling anxious and worried about. And it has physiological effects. Of course, the medical profession tells us, oh, this is the source of lots of headaches and neck pains and ulcers and back pains and heart disease. It taxes your sympathetic nervous system and overrides your parasympathetic nervous system that really needs you to sort of relax and, and chill. In fact, the Mayo Clinic says that perhaps as much as 80% of their caseload is to some extent interwoven with worry. And in many instances, the cause probably of things that they're seeing. One doctor even said, if we could get rid of the worry, if we could cure people of the worry, I think we would see far, far, far fewer patients. So it's a real problem. And it's not just the problem that you carry privately. Remember, we said that last week as well. It's a, it, it's a problem that trickles down from us. No matter how quietly we think we're holding our worries or anxieties in, other people are picking up on this. It has a contagiousness about it. And so your spouse, for example, finds you uh, less engaged uh, or attuned to what's going on in his or her life. The children likewise find you less involved or engaged in, in their interest. It makes you less enjoyable to the people that you work with. It makes you less enjoyable to everybody, including yourself. So today, what I want us to do is I want us to go back to a text that we started in with last week. It's in Philippians chapter 4. We, only, uh, we read four verses, but I only preached one last week. This week, I want to preach the next three in that little section because this is such a power-packed little section of Scripture that can be so helpful if we could leverage it in this dimension uh, of worry and anxiety in our lives. Now, keep in mind the context because the context is always very important when we're um, reading Scripture. Who was the author? The author was the Apostle Paul. He was writing to these Christians uh, in the area called Philippi over in the Mediterranean region. And keep in mind his context, he was in prison. Doesn't know exactly what's going to happen to his life. And so, you know, if you or I were probably in that predicament, we'd be saying, help, get me out of here. I didn't do anything but follow after Jesus. I shouldn't be in here. But you'd never know that's what's going on in his life. To read his calm, peaceful, cool as a cucumber words, you'd think he just pulled into a five-star luxury resort. And so we've got to probe what was it that anchored him this way. Let's read the passage again. Starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, like I said, last week we talked about that verse four. That's, that's kind of the first thing, that whole rejoice in the Lord always. If you weren't here, you need to go back and you got to hear that part. So kind of tune in online and, and catch up with that because otherwise you don't get kind of the whole A plus B plus C plus D equals peace that Paul is giving us um, in this section. But today we're going to look, uh, like I said, at verses five, six, and seven, and we're going to draw from these verses three very clear truths that he tells us. Three things that we've got to learn how to wrap our hearts and minds around. The first thing Paul says today is when you're anxious, pursue a gentle spirit. Verse five, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, your Bible might not say gentleness. Your Bible might say, let everybody see your considerate spirit, or let everybody see your moderate, or your reasonable, or your tempered spirit, or your forbearing spirit. There's a lot of English words that dance very close to the original Greek word, but there's not one that just perfectly gets it. But if you lump all of those in together, you can get at something of what Paul was trying to help us to get at. He says, I want you to let your gentleness be evident to all. 
You know why we tend to not be gentle or tempered or uh, even uh, keeled when we're feeling anxiety or uh, you know, stress or, or worried? I'll tell you why. Because we're convinced I got to solve this problem. I got to get myself or my people out of this situation. This is why, incidentally, anxiety is the reason that there's so many control freaks. At the root of every control freak is anxiety. Because when a person is anxious, he or she grows utterly convinced it's up to me. I've got to fix this thing. And we start to convince ourselves, I got to will myself or my spouse or my children or my people, whoever, I got to will them through this. And as we're willing that, we're buying into the myth. We're buying into a myth. I'm going to tell you about the myth, but first, what's the attitude that happens? We become harsh. We become edgy. We become unreasonable and overreactive and, and sharp and eruptive. And meanwhile, God is saying, wait a second. <laughs> wait, wait a second. Now, wh wait, why do you think that you're in control of this world more than I am in control of this world? Do you really think this situation that you're in, do you really think this development that just came upon you, do you really think that that has just caught me utterly from surprise by surprise, God says? you really think it just knocked me off my royal throne? Paul says as he writes from prison, if we're going to crack out of this egg called anxiety, we're gonna to have to learn how to approach anxiety arousing situations with a level headedness. And we've got to get past this myth that it's up to me. No, it's not. It's up to God. He'll give you what you need, but don't take this on without him or else you'll become all of those things, edgy and eruptive and abrasive and all of these things. He's saying, you, you want to deal with your anxiety in a healthy way? Let all people know your forbearing, gentle spirit. You say, okay, well, that sounds great, but the problem is, see, Ken, when I'm feeling a little anxious or worried, I don't feel forbearing or gentle because it's in those moments I'm having my moment. I, see, I understand that because I kind of can be that way a little bit myself. So how do we do that? Well, look at the next thing that Paul says. Let all people know your gentle spirit. The Lord is near. And that's the key here in this passage. The Lord is at hand. How near is he? Well, if you've trusted in Jesus, if you've had Jesus, invited Jesus to come into your life and to be your savior, he's inside of you through the power of his Holy Spirit. How much nearer can you get? But to watch many of us when we're under stress or when we're feeling anxious, you'd think that we're convinced that God is 10 million galaxies away, that he's utterly unaware of what in the world's going on in our life and he probably doesn't even care anyhow and nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, Jesus would say at one point when he was talking about worry in Matthew chapter six, he says, when you act that way, you realize you're acting no different than a pagan, than an unbeliever. But you've got this distinct advantage over them. You're in a relationship with the very savior of the world, the very one who came from heaven and lived the life of sinless perfection that we couldn't live and died the death of suffering we deserved and punishment that we deserved and conquered the grave. You're in relationship with me. Why would you live like an unbeliever? You have me, my power inside of you. The only person who ever came into this world from the Father who conqu fully conquered the mission, fully accomplished the mission for which God had sent him, Jesus. We have him, his power, his spirit, his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Paul says, if you could really get your mind around that, even in the most stressful of times, you can be forbearing. You can be gentle. Why? Because you know he's right here with me. But 
Lord, that's, that's hard, isn't it? Like I said, it's hard for, I remember when, when I had just moved here and I, I think it was the first night I got here and I hadn't found anybody who was gonna help me with the church yet and I was on my own and I remember driving around all the area trying to get my mind around this whole area called Spring and, and it just felt utterly overwhelming. I was thinking to myself, why on the, in the world did I ever leave my cushy position as an assistant pastor, associate pastor up at the church in the Woodlands? I should have never left. What am I doing here? I don't know what. It, and so I did the only sane thing that I could think of, and that is I picked up the phone and called my dear friend, Pastor Dan who then was still living in the Atlanta, Georgia area, working in his second year on a five-year stint that he put in on a church plant over there. He said, hello, and I said, Dan, I'm, I've made a terrible mistake. What have you done? I said, yes, I should never have said yes. I don't know how I'm gonna start a church. I don't know how I'm gonna get any people. I don't know how I'm gonna get any supplies. I don't know how, where we're gonna ever have any, any meetings. I don't know how you rent a place. I don't know how you get property. I don't know, what am I saying that I said I could come and do this? I, this is the terriblest mistake I ever made. After I finally stopped for a moment to take a breath, Pastor Dan jumped in and he said, brother, in his characteristic calm way, he said, brother, now, wait just a second. Three or four, five days ago, we were talking on the phone, and you were so excited. You were so energized. You were so full of vision. You couldn't wait to get to spring because God had told you you're going to start a new church. And, and, and you had confidence. And you all, now, what has happened? What has changed in the last three or four or five days? I said, what's happened is I got here. It's not theoretical anymore. <laughs> he chuckled. <laughs> he said, okay, so what's changed is you have changed. But Ken, he said, our great God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the one who was speaking to you last week, and he's the one who's going to be speaking to you next week. Now, you've got to calm down. Take a breath. Let's get things back in perspective. This is going to be a great church, but it's not going to be a great church because of you. It's going to be a great church because you can you serve a great God. And he prayed for me on the phone. I never forgot that. I needed in that moment, I needed his forbearing, even-tempered, gentle spirit. That's what Paul was saying. He said, um, let all people know your forbearing spirit. Let all people know your gentleness. How? Just remember who's with you. The Lord is at hand. Paul's writing from prison. Help! No. It's like, the Lord's right here. I guess he wants me to be here. So here I am, and I'll rejoice in him, and I'll be kind and gentle to the guards who are stationed around here. I'll even put in a good word for Jesus to them for as long as the Lord has me here because he is with me. I'm telling you, if we can do this our colleagues at work, they will notice a difference in our demeanor. Your coworkers will benefit from it. You're, and at home, your family at home, they'll feel the blessings of it. So this is the first thing that, that Paul is saying. He's saying, we've got to start by settling down. Let all people know your forbearing, gentle spirit. In other words, he was saying, quit trying to push through. Instead of that, pray through. That's the second thing he says. We get that out of verse five. In all things, he said, through prayers and petitions, with thanksgiving, make your requests, present your requests to God. Don't push through, pray through. Max Lucado writes a, a, a good little book, helpful book on anxiety. I'd encourage you to read it. 
in which he says, isn't it interesting, Paul said, be anxious for nothing. Uh, he's not saying, be anxious for less. That could have been a plenty big challenge. He's not saying, be anxious only on Thursdays. No, he's saying be anxious for nothing. Zero, zilch, nada, nothing. How is that possible? It's possible only if we'll learn how to come home to Jesus through prayer. Now, I wonder if you've noticed this. It is utterly impossible for your mind to focus entirely on two things at the same time. Now, many of us are multitaskers, or we try to be multitasking sort of people, right? But realistically, your mind cannot be consumed with your anxieties and at the same time immersed with the Lord in prayer. You cannot do both things at the same time. So here's what happens. Many of us, we give lip service to prayer, and our prayers in our anxious moments go something like this. Oh, God. Oh, God, help me. This is crazy. What have I done? This is out of control. And pretty soon, we're just giving in to our despairs. Just because you started off with the word God, the name God, does not make it effective prayer. See, there's really two tracks our minds can roll on. Our minds can roll on the track of despair, or they can roll on the track of prayer. And Paul is saying, you've got to switch tracks when you're in your anxiety-provoking, uh, worrisome moments, switch tracks. How do I know if I've switched tracks? I'll tell you how you can know. You've switched tracks if when you're talking to God, you're feeling yourself calming down and you're sensing in your own hearts, the, 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 your, your mind of your soul, you're sensing God is bigger and grander than he was to me five minutes ago. And you keep going with it and God keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And at the same time, your problems are feeling smaller and smaller and smaller. That is prayer. Now, what is despair? Despair it's when your problems are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and God is feeling smaller and smaller and farther and farther away. That's how you can know if you're giving into prayer or if you're giving into despair. So Paul's saying, hey, you've got to switch tracks. Now, how do we do this prayer thing? He uses this interesting word Paul does, petition. What does a petition mean? That is a specific request. Paul's arguing for specificity in our prayer lives. I think many times we think, well, I just throw one up, sort of one of these, you know, if you're up there somewhere, God, hear this. You know, and it's, it's kind of a generalization. It's a general sort of prayer. Paul's saying, oh, no, 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 no. Nothing's dynamic until it becomes specific. Let's get it specific. Like what? Like praying God. I am asking you specifically in the next hour, in this meeting that I'm going into, that's going to be potentially stressful, would you surprise me? Would you give me immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine in the way of grace and patience and insight and peace in this room? Would you just do a, do a work in this next meeting that I'm going into? That's nice and specific. God, would you please lift this cloud of confusion that I've been feeling. Would you lift it by lunchtime, God? I need to have clarity. Lord, would you give my spouse the answer that he or she is, is grasping for? Lord, would you give clarity and confirmation to the doctor at our meeting at 2.30 this afternoon? Because we need to know a next step specificity, make it good and specific. And here's the great thing about it. If you will start to keep a prayer journal, you just get a little notebook or you can go on Evernote or some online service like that. You can just keep chronicling. You list your specific prayers out, your requests, your petitions out, and you can go back then and you can just see time and time again how he's answered 
specifically. I'll give you an illustration. I was doing this even as I, I was prep, pre- preparing to give this talk today. I thought, well, I'll just look back in my prayer journals. So I went back several months and just looking because I, I usually log a little something every day in my prayer journals and I've taken you through some of the exercises that I go through. And, um, and I got back to what I prayed on April the 25th last year. Now, I, my devotion that morning was on King David. It was a passage in the Old Testament about King David and he was having some big leadership problems. And I got to my prayer time and I said, Lord, I'm not feeling nearly as in a challenging situation as David clearly was feeling that day. But I do feel like my leadership is being summoned to a new and a higher level than I've been operating at. We've flattened out, and I fear that our flattening is a reflection of my soul's flattening. Lord, would you touch me? Do a new work inside of me. Show me new things. Bring me new ideas. Fuel the fire inside of me. Because I want to do all that you are offering to do inside of me. And I want to lead with all diligence. Now, what happened four days after I prayed that prayer? I got on an airplane and went on a trip that many of you, if you were here last spring, you know that whole story. And this resurgence, this revival in my soul that started to happen. The practical outworkings of which you're feeling this recent is right through Christmas Eve and the party on the patio and, and, and things. That was a specific prayer that I was praying. I'd forgotten about that until I went back and I looked. That's the great thing about keeping a prayer journal. It reminds you. So get it specific. Lift those prayers up to the Lord, not in vagaries, but in specificities. There was a woman who came to see me a while back and who, as I recall, had a a son who, towards the end of the second grade year, the school had told her, we are going to recommend he needs to do second grade again. And she was very upset about this. She was worried. And she was like, what about his peer group? They're going to move on without him. And what if he doesn't make any friends? And, and, and what if this doesn't go well? And what if he has to repeat it again and again and again? Well, I said, well, I guess if he stays in second long enough, he could help out and drive on the field trips. But I didn't really say that. But I could tell she was just feeling so, so heavy-hearted about this. And it was so big and so real. And I asked her a question. And I said, let me ask you something. Do you believe that our Heavenly Father created your son? She said, I do believe that. I said, okay, can you let yourself imagine that our Heavenly Father actually loves your son even more than you do. She said, I can, I can let myself imagine that. I said, okay. So with that thought in mind, let's go to him and let's just hand over these two or three burdens that you've just mentioned to me. And let's just surrender them over to him. Now, here's the challenge. When we surrender our burdens over, when we hand him our burdens, the temptation is to say amen and then to take our burdens right back. You ever do that? I've done that any number of times. I just feel that, that peace that surpasses all understanding that we're going to get to in just a moment. It's like, oh, this was the best prayer time. Thank you, Lord. Now I'll take it all back. And, and it's like, why am I doing that? I think Peter actually helps us here in his little letter called 1 Peter in chapter 5, verse 7. He says an interesting thing. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now that, that verb cast could be translated hurl. It's a great visual word. Picture this. I'm taking all my burdens and I'm, I'm really hurling. The great thing, see, if you hurl them far enough to Jesus, then you can't take them back because they're out of your arm's reach. And I think that's not accidental that Peter chose that verb because our tendency is to take it right back and, and the Lord's saying, that's the whole thing. You don't have to take it back. Why don't you really let me have it? All right, so he's been telling us two things so far, right? In verse five, he's saying, let all people know your gentle spirit. And in the, uh, verse six, he's saying, and then I want you to pray with specificity. Make your requests known. And then the last thing, the third thing, full of thanksgiving. Thank continuously. Thank 
continuously. Not only are we making our requests known, but we're, we're thanking him. Thanking him for what? Thanking him for the things he's going to do? Yeah, we can thank him for the future things. He's gonna, but I wouldn't keep it out there so much as I'd look back. There's nothing that builds your faith in God for the future like looking back at what God has done in the past. This is what builds our faith. This is why throughout the Old Testament, you always saw God telling the people, I want you to remember and remember, and I led you across the Red Sea, and I did this, and how could you doubt that I'm still with you? There's something about going back, we remember and we begin to thank him for the things that he's done, and it is refreshing to our souls. Again, quoting from Max Lucado's little book, gratitude leads us off the river bank of if only. And it escorts us to the fertile valley, valley of the already. That's the benefit of thanksgiving. We move from if only to the already. The anxious heart says, Lord, if only I had this, if only I had that or the next thing, then I'd be okay. The grateful heart says, Oh, look at all the things you've done for me already, Lord. Why would I ever doubt that you're not going to be able to do it again? Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for the things that you've done in the past. Thanksgiving sucks the oxygen right out of worry's world. So you want to strengthen your prayer life? I'll tell you what you do. You just get that little journal I was talking about, just start doing something online that you can log into every day. And you just spend a few minutes every day starting off and just saying, God, I want to thank you for this. I want to thank you for this. You just get specific, not just in your requests, but get thankful in your, get specific in your thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, that I have friends, family who love me. Thank you, Lord, that I have breath and strength and life. To thank you, Lord, that I have that. Which if things had gone different three years ago this weekend, I wouldn't be here. But thank you, God, for what you do. Thank you, God, for the good things that you're doing in our church and that so many people are coming sometimes to hear the gospel, that we even have traffic jams. Thank you for that, Lord, that you're doing a great thing here in our midst. He's saying, I want you to offer your prayers full of specificity and full of thanksgiving as well. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Now, let's bring all the things we've been talking about now together with last week and let's see if we can uh, sort of summarize. What Paul's telling us here is, look, once you realize the Lord is near, and that's really the nub of this, the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near, then you'll be able to rejoice in him always. You'll become a more gentle, forbearing person. More instinctively, you'll talk with him through prayer, specifically. And you'll thank him profusely for all the things that he's already done. What's the net result? then you'll experience the peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the interesting thing about that word, guard. It's a military word. Uh, one translation will say, the, the peace of God will stand garrison around you. Picture soldiers, a whole troop of soldiers, a whole fortress of, of soldiers coming around you. And this is the picture that he's saying. Paul is writing from prison and he was saying, look, how can I be experiencing the peace that surpasses all understanding? Because I've learned the secret. I've learned how near he is and it enables me to rejoice and to be gentle and forbearing. It enables me to just keep praying and talking with him and being thankful. And the net result is I feel the peace that doesn't make any sense. To anybody else. Because it doesn't make sense otherwise. How could I be feeling peaceful? It's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And I'm telling you, there's nothing better than that experience. When you're experiencing that peace that surpasses all understanding.
Perhaps it's because this evening, this afternoon, 4 or 5 o'clock, is the big missions kickoff for our uh, youth particularly. You know, we send out, I think, what, 35, 6 or something, trips of mission teams, journeys that go out from here in the summer. It's a powerful, huge program. In fact, if you aren't aware of it, you should come tonight and just see, especially if you have a young person, uh, just come and it's fun, it's funny, uh, it's informative, and you'll be quite inspired by what our youth are, are doing. Um, but anyhow, I think it's because maybe that was on my mind. I got thinking in my own mind back to when I was a college intern on another church staff. And I remember that summer, there was a week that we went off on a mission trip and I was given a van full of high school students and we were assigned to a certain home um, out, kind of in the countryside, outside a little town that we were in. And the, the house that we were assigned to was a two-story wooden house, almost like you would see in a movie. Um, it probably had been pretty decades earlier, but it wasn't so good looking now. It was dilapidated. It was run down and needed paint. The grass and the weeds were every bit my height, probably 10 feet tall. And the porch had rot in it and Oh, it was bad. We pulled up and it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a job. And we got out and we began to work and we worked on Monday and all day and we worked on Tuesday and we worked on Wednesday. We, finally, we got to the end of the week and the place really looked great. There was grass at all been taking to the lawn was down now and, and the porch had the patches. You could actually walk on it now and not fall through and... and it was just like a, a whole new deal. So we packed up all our stuff in the trailer behind the van. And I remember <clears throat> before leaving, I said to the students, I said, now let's go up um, and let's say goodbye to the client, the lady that we'd been working for to serve. My hope was that we could maybe put in a good word for Jesus and tell her a little bit about the Lord that we love and whom we served that week and uh, the reason that we'd come to help her and this sort of thing. Little did I know, she was going to preach the sermon to us uh, the next few minutes. So we joined her up on that porch where she was sitting. And she said when we came around her, she said, Oh, you wonderful, wonderful young people. You came all this way and you have helped me all week. Just last week I was praying. I said, Lord, now, you know, I'm a widow. My husband's been gone for however many years, she said. And I haven't got children. And I cannot take care of this. And I don't know how you're going to do it, Lord. But I know that you're going to come through because you're a good, good God. You've never failed me yet, Lord. And I love you so much, Jesus. So won't you just do it again? She said, and then you young people come driving up this week. Look at all this that you've done for me. She said, I'm so thankful for everything that you've done. Well, at this point, I, I was impressed that she had been praying about it and then we'd shown up. But ever the pragmatician, even in college years, I suppose, I asked her, but now when we drive off, who's going to take care of you then? She smiled at me. She said, young man, the Lord is going to take care of me. She said, do you think that you're the first answer to my prayers? Do you think you're the first request he ever answered? Oh, honey, she said, I could show you pages of where I have asked for his help because I couldn't do it myself, and he has provided at every juncture. He's never failed me yet, young people. She said, oh, I love the Lord so much. He's been so good to me, and you stay close with him. He's going to be so good to you as well. well. Now there was a hush around the circle. We were all impressed by her faith and Finally, she broke the silence and she said, well, now you young people need to be going. So I want to pray for you. And she prayed over us and we gave her hugs and 
told her goodbye and we climbed into the van and I remember we drove off sort of in a holy hush because I think all of us had the sense we had just been in the presence of somebody who knew Jesus a lot more intimately than many of us did. And I have a sneaking suspicion that's probably exactly what everyone felt whoever got to be in the presence of the Apostle Paul who from his own prison wrote to us saying rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice let everybody know you're, you're forbearing your gentle spirit for the Lord is at hand the Lord is near so don't be anxious for anything but in everything, through prayers, with petitions, full of thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I think we should talk to him right now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the life that Paul lived, for the faith that he modeled, for the lessons he gave us, which even 2,000 years later are so relevant. For though none of us are in prison right now, in a way of speaking, I suppose all of us are in prisons of our own makings. Maybe prisons that have to do with our working, our hours, our relationships, anxiety-provoking situations that all of us are going through, worries that we have, worries for our children, worries, on and on and on. Oh, God, forgive us for how quickly we switch tracks out of that prayer thing into that despair thing. And our problems just get bigger and bigger, and you seem smaller and smaller, and all the while you're saying, but wait, 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 I'm right with you. I'm still near. I'm still here. I'm still offering my power if you would draw on it. Right now in the quietness of this prayerful moment, I'm going to invite you, right on you now, just let come to your mind whatever your bigger, biggest stressor, worry, anxiety, problem is. Maybe it's something that just for the last few minutes, you were able to sort of not be thinking about as you were caught up thinking about the things of the Lord. Well, right now, I want you to think about that thing. You bring it back. But what I want you to do is I want you to make a trade. I want you to say, Lord, I'm trading in my anxiety for you because I know you offer more. I know you offer better. And I want the peace that you provide to guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I want to be able to, to maintain a spirit of joy and gentleness. I want to be prayerful, not despairful. And I want to be full of gratitude. So even now, why don't you just surrender that over to his hands? And maybe don't even surrender. Maybe you just cast it, throw it up there on the heap well farther than your arms can reach. And you say, I'm going to leave this with you. I'm going to trust you. You've never failed me yet. Even though I know what it'll look like, even though I don't know how you're going to do it, even though I know where, I don't know exactly how you'll come through, I know that you are God and that you're good and that you will. So we turn to you, Christ. You're our cornerstone and when we're with you, it is well with our souls. Won't you, won't you meet with us now? And even as we go out, carry us from here, just girded up, just surrounded by your angels, holding our hearts and minds peaceful, standing garrison around us 
and tonight, even when we go to bed and even when we're trying to sleep, help us just to know you're with us, offering us that peace. And tomorrow when we go to work or school or wherever we're going, God, won't you keep doing it then? Help us not to switch tracks, but to be full of you. Thanks for that peace you offer, Jesus. We pray all of these things in your strong name. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Well, hello and welcome to Postscript. I'm Kyle Pettit. I'm the young adult pastor here at FaithBridge and I'm joined with Pastor Ken who just preached a message called Victory Over Anxiety. It's a great message. You no, know, it blessed a lot of ears. Uh, we have some questions that we want to answer. Uh, the first one being one that I think a lot of us have struggled with at one point or another being what if God doesn't answer our prayers? Sure. That's a common one. Whenever you talk about prayer, there's always the question, what if he doesn't answer? You know, I, I think we can answer that simple question with a simple answer. The simple answer is he always does answer. He always does answer. How does he always answer? Well, we have to get our categories right. Borrowing from uh, one late great preacher who who gave a message that I've even preached here years ago, he answers in one of four ways. Sometimes he answers no. Mm -hmm. That is an answer. Yeah. Um, sometimes he answers grow because he's doing something inside of us that needs to happen first. Sometimes he answers slow because he's working some things behind the scenes and bringing it together. And then sometimes he answers go. And I think that's a pithy little way to, to remember. Okay, he does always answer. It's the no one that is particularly, uh, I think, disheartening sometimes. But Tim Keller has a good word. Tim Keller writes, Your father will give you everything you would have asked for if you knew everything mm. he knows. I think especially if it's a no, that that's helpful. It's like, okay, I don't have all the knowledge in the whole wide world, mm -hmm. but God does. And so sometimes he's giving us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. That's so good. We have to just trust. That's right. Trust him. That's it. Well, we have a second question um, that is well-worded. So I'm just going to read it verbatim. It mm -hmm. says, so here's a Martha question. Martha, as in Mary and Martha. <laughs> uh, it's all great that the Lord is near, but he isn't helping to do the dishes, and neither is my family. I'm frustrated and strung out by the lack of help doing the dishes, the trash, the laundry, the dusting, vacuuming, and mopping, while my family does whatever they want every weekend and evening, despite the fact that I'm now working full-time as well. Because I hear, don't be short with your family, rejoice in the Lord, but there, are truly, are, there truly are things to be done in life, so what uh, life is so somewhat productive. So that life is somewhat productive. Okay, that's a great question. I think two things uh, for this person, I would say. The first is this, look, you are in a position as are many people that is bringing you to the end of yourself. Paul was in a position that, that clearly had brought him to the end of himself. Um, this is where we discover the genuineness of our faith. This is really where the rubber meets the road with, okay, what am I going to do um, now that I'm feeling all of this? This is where we get to put our faith into practice. Now, having said that, my answer is more of a, a pastoral answer in this instance, and I think... <laughs> it would be this to the questioner. He or she might ought to get a hold of a book called Boundaries. It was written by John Townsend and Harry Cloud, Henry Cloud, some years ago. It's a very good book 
and I'm thinking there is something that doesn't sound quite healthy about this dynamic. Mm -hmm. No offense to the questioner, uh, but if you have no boundaries, and it kind of sounds like the, the rest of the family doesn't see any boundaries, and if they don't see any, it's perhaps because you're not putting them there. Mm-hmm. then that's a little bit of a different question. We can't put that off on Jesus. <laughs> that, that comes down <laughs> to us learning how to say, okay, uh, this is your responsibility. Right. And if you don't do this, then it won't get done. Um, so that's maybe a family chat kind of deal. And, and sometimes where there are boundaryless homes, uh, you don't move into setting boundaries uh, without some bumps. Right. Because uh, other, nobody else once change. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be good to uh, get a hold of the boundaries book and maybe even have a few counseling sessions to figure out how could I set some healthier uh, boundaries here for, for myself and for everybody. That's a little unrelated to the text, I think, that, that <laughs> we were talking about, but still yeah. salient, still relevant, and, and all of us from time to time need a little tune-up to ensure that we're making healthy choices um, for everybody in the family. Right. Wonderful. Um, well, you mentioned a book in your talk. Um, yeah. Can you give us a little a bit more on that? Yeah. It's Max Lucado's book. I mentioned it last week in the postscript. It's, uh, it's called, uh, it's not called Anxiety, but it might as well be. It's uh, Anxious for Nothing. It's a newer book, and it's simple reading. Max's writing is always very simple, very pastoral. Um, but he, he really puts into some simple sentences, uh, some very concrete thoughts that I have found helpful and even borrowed today, as you heard. I didn't have time to share this one, but I'll, I'll, I'll close us with this because I thought this is uh, particularly helpful. There are many things in life over which you have no choice, but the greatest activity in life is well within your dominion. You can choose what you think about. You can be the air traffic controller of your mind. You occupy the control tower, and you can direct the mental traffic of your world. Thoughts circle above, coming and going. If one of them lands, it's because you gave it permission. If it leaves, it's because you directed it to do so. So you can select your thought uh, pattern. I thought that's, that's, a, mm-hmm. that's a good way to, to put it. That's and so good to uh, circle back around once more these words that Paul uh, was saying. Clearly, that he could write from prison the way that he did um, with such apparent you know, peace and uh, just not an alarm in the world mm-hmm. going off in his soul, apparently, shows that he had really learned how to uh, control the control tower of his thoughts. Yeah. And so must we. That's so good. That's so good. Well, Pastor Ken, I know this series so far has been a blessing to me, and I know it's been a blessing to a ton of other people. Um, And so thank you. Uh, And thank you for joining us. And we'll see you back next week. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.